Overrated, the best podcast that no one has probably ever heard. I'm joined today by my good friend, Du Howe. We are broadcasting in Roseville, Minnesota. Welcome to the show, Du Howe. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. I guess for starters, it'd be helpful for the world to know just how you got the name Du Howe. That's a good question. I was, uh, I got the, the nickname Du Howe in uh, high school when one of my friends just decided to start calling me that. And when I asked him why Du Howe, he just looked at me and said, well, because you're the doest of the Dew House. And then it stuck from there. It makes perfect sense. So this is only our second episode, but Dew How and I, we go way back. We've been friends since the first grade, since I first moved to our hometown. So it feels like this podcast is a culmination of 30-some years of friendship. Absolutely. Today we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones. I know in the last episode we teased Metal Gear Solid, but everyone's going to have to wait for that due to a scheduling conflict. So we're going to talk Game of Thrones today. Duhow and I have been fans of Game of Thrones and, more accurately, A Song of Ice and Fire since there were fantasy books published in the early 2000s. We're going to talk about the books a little bit, we're going to talk about the show, and then we'll spend some time talking a little bit about what we expect from the show moving forward now that it's past the written works. But before we get into the Game of Thrones, I thought it might be helpful for Duhow and I to talk a little bit about what we're reading now since this particular property is based in a book series for us. Do you, know, you want to kick us off with some of the fantasy works that you've been into recently? Be happy to. The, the reading I do tends to be along the same genre of Game of Thrones. One of the more recent series I've read, although it's still only uh, two books into the series, is called uh, The King Killer Chronicles from Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, anybody out there that might be familiar with Patrick Rothfuss, if you watch, oh, what are those called? Those uh, movies? television shows no no uh cartoons um, at those at the gaming conventions where they have the uh, acquisitions incorporated where they play D D at these gaming conventions patrick rothfuss is one of the guys that's that does that they play D D in front of a big auditorium full of people so people might know him from that can you imagine diving into our own personal backstory a little bit how much people would be put off just from watching me play D D <laughs> or Shadowrun or any of the tabletop role-playing games that we're so fond of i don't know we put that on youtube i bet you'd get a lot of you might get a lot of thumbs down but a lot of people would watch it <laughs> yeah well you know I, I keep the action fast and intense and i keep things moving i guess that's a hallmark if you're turned off by swearing maybe watching me play role-playing games wouldn't be quite your cup of tea but Go on with Rothfuss. The the books are really engaging, but you know he he kind of has the same issue, at least in my opinion, right now. Is some of the criticism of George R. R. Martin is that the books come out extremely slowly. He's only I don't even know how many books are, are scheduled to be in this series, but he has two out. the The story revolves around his main character Quoth. The story starts with him growing up in sort of like a band of I, how would you describe him? Not I was going to say carnival people, but that's not right. You know, kind of like Cirque du Soleil. Fantasy series about carnies. More like Cirque du Soleil folks. I'm trying to. Think think how he'd describe him dick grayson yeah Robin? yeah like dick grayson maybe kind of like that right and then his whole family is is murdered and kind of moving forward find out he has magical skills and ends up at this magic school in the world that the books take place and and he's sort of this young prodigy that just picks up on all this stuff quickly a really witty main character of course that wit oftentimes gets him into a lot of trouble without going into too much detail that th- those books are fantastic they're really engaging so I- i'm hoping that the author puts out more of them soon kind of a, along the similar vein another series i'm reading his first book is called the way of kings i think it's called the stormlight archive by brandon sanderson and people might recognize that name brandon sanderson is a fantasy author that i think before he was writing this major series is most well known for finishing 
The Wheel of Time. Did you ever read The Wheel of Time series? I, I didn't, but I've heard it's good, so that, that might be uh, next on the list. And obviously Robert Jordan, who who started it, uh, was very famous because he got it going. And then, in, at least in my experience, the guy that finished it, Brandon Sanderson's a talented author, so I'm sure it's a good series. What do you prefer in your fantasy series? Do you want a standalone book? Do you want a trilogy? Or do you want a 37-book epic like The Wheel of Time? What's your wheelhouse? You know, I, I don't I don't mind the many book the multiple book series because sometimes those stories take that long. Between Game of Thrones and the Name of the Wind, King Killer Chronicles that I just described, and this one, you get kind of tired of waiting for. You know, and obviously, it takes an author a while to to put a new book out. But you get excited. You're invested in this new intellectual property, and you're into the world. You're into the characters, and then you have to wait years. It's maddening. Well, and 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 beyond that, the the problem I have, at least, you know, maybe maybe some of your listeners have better retention than I do. But when you're waiting three to five years between books, the next one comes out, and all of a sudden you're like, well, shit, I can't remember what happened to you know half this stuff. So then then I have to go back and I have to read the book I had and the last and before I can move on to the next one. I'm exactly the same way. I can't just pick up like the fifth book in a series after reading the first four a while ago. I have to read the whole series beginning to end and we'll talk about this a little more in our Game of Thrones discussion but I don't know if I can do that again with George R.R. Martin. Well at least with George R.R. Martin we have the advantage of the not that I don't know if he's going to planning on following the TV show or not, but now the show is going to jump his story at least as far as content. And I assume we'll dive into this a lot more a little bit later. Let's come sure. back to Brandon Sanderson and the new series that you've been reading. Yeah, so uh, apparently he says it's going to be this ten book long epic story. Ugh. And, and uh, well, exactly. So he has, he has a main character named Kaladin in that story, and trying it's kind of hard to surmise in just a few short sentences. But Kaladin is is a uh, uh, officer in an army in this this world that Brandon Sanderson has created and essentially is the army he's uh, I don't know if I'd say general for but a high officer and is is murdered and he becomes enslaved essentially goes to work at you know as an enslaved person and so he goes from being this like badass military personnel high up the chain and he winds up working in like a salt mine well exactly except there's a little bit more detail than that but anyways you know kind of like the previous uh, series I was mentioning he has these innate magical powers that are fairly rare in the in the world that Sanderson created and again another engaging book that you get one of those that you really can't put down and hopefully more of them come out in short order well sounds like a couple of interesting reads I'm not in the middle of many books right now between work and family life and starting a new podcast and a new website all of which kick ass and thanks for supporting me in the midst of all that I haven't been able to jump on a lot of books I read Game Informer religiously every single month a magazine as well as Sports Illustrated Weekly almost every month one book that I am reading right now is Console Wars by Blake J. Harris. It's kind of an interesting book. It chronicles how Sega tried to go toe-to-toe with Nintendo in the era of Sega Genesis versus Super Nintendo. We happen to be on different sides of that battle. I say Genesis for life, while I know you are a big Super Nintendo supporter. Oh, absolutely, and I remember uh, those fights in middle school and high school growing up that we used to have, and a bunch of our friends would join in. I, I was definitely on the Super Nintendo side. You were on the wrong side. It's kind of like Civil War. We're divided here. And Duhau is wrong. That's the key point that I want everyone to take away from this, is that Duhau is wrong. Console Wars, it's a really interesting book. It's got a lot of names and characters in it of people that were involved in the business of Sega, so that's kind of hard to keep track of, almost like George R. R. Martin with all the families and all the names and all the people and all the lineage. But it's just kind of an interesting tale. It's a pretty good read for a business book, actually. It keeps moving pretty well. A couple of things that I'm looking at reading in the near future are Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. This is actually a book I got in Loot Crate, which is an awesome monthly subscription service. If you've never heard of it, check out LootCrate.com or 
Google Loot Crate. I actually don't know what the website is. Phoenix signed us up for it. This is a fictional book. It's kind of a dystopic future. The Huffington Post describes it as delightful. The grown-ups Harry Potter. It's just kind of a fantasy future book. The grown-ups Harry Potter. Well, that might be interesting. Uh, another book that I have on my table here right next to me that I'm excited about that I actually got for my brother-in-law for my birthday is Of Dice and Men. The story of Dungeons and Dragons and the people who play it, which is kind of a history of how D&D was created, and I think it talks about one of its founders. And Well, that was us. We used to play it. Yeah, it fits in our background, and I'm sure it'll be a very interesting read if I ever get to it. I slowly get through books. I read every night just because it helps. I have a hard time going to sleep without reading. I usually get put uh, whatever book I'm reading as long as it's one, something that uh, where, where you don't have the extremely long chapters or I'll fall asleep in the middle of it, yeah. but I'll re- usually try to read a chapter a night or whatever I'm reading. Yeah, it used to be similar. Then I got into Marvel Puzzle Quest, so now I do that before I go to sleep. <laughs> Those are some of the things that we're reading now, some of the things we're looking forward to reading in the future. So without further ado, let's dive into our Game of Thrones discussion, or Song of Fire and Ice, depending on when you started following the series. The Game of Thrones, originally the title of the first book in the Song of Fire and Ice series, written by George R.R. R. Martin. Just a quick spoiler alert before we really launch into it. I don't think we're going to spoil anything here unless somebody hasn't read the books and wants to but the last book came out in 2006 or so so if you haven't read it by now i don't know if we're really going to spoil anything for you we're going to be talking about the show a little bit i am a season behind so do how i'll have to enlighten you on the most recent season just a warning we're going to be talking game of thrones anything that happens in the books is fair game we've read all the books and we'll be talking about up through the last season of the show so if you're behind and don't want anything ruined might want to you know delete this and download it again and well, whenever the hell you catch up Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire. For me, I got into the books originally because I worked at Barnes & Noble in college, and these books went through the staff like a plague. Like, everybody, somebody read it and passed it on to the next guy, passed it on to the next guy, passed it on to the next gal, and they just whipped through the whole staff. I was a little bit of a slow adapter, but I got hooked on the books early in about 2004, I want to say, and then I burned through them. Do how? Do you remember how you got into the books? Uh, Of course, I, I was into the books from you. I was needed a, a recommendation at the time and I asked you what you were reading and you mentioned these books and so I went out and bought the first one and it's one of those books that you know you burn through so fast I went out and bought the the at the at the time there were three out and I read through those and then shortly after the fourth one came out and then I waited that painfully long time for the fifth one to come out just a quick trivia game can you name the first four books in the Song of Ice and Fire yes uh, a Game of Thrones a Clash of Kings a Storm of Swords, A Feast of Crows, and the fifth one is A Dance of Dragons. Yeah, well, that was pretty easy. I, I've always read the first three books, especially in rapid succession, so I have a hard time kind of delineating them. Like, I know the first one was Game of Thrones, but then Storm of Swords and Clash of Kings, I can't actually honestly tell you which one came second. Uh, Clash of Kings came second. So. so launching back into it, when, did, when were you hooked on the first book? If you can think back to the very first time you read Game of Thrones, where did it get its claws in you? I it was fairly early. It was it was hard. Game of Thrones is hard at the beginning because, as you kind of alluded to at the beginning, there's so many characters, and until you really kind of get get into it enough to know who all the characters are, those first few chapters, you're constantly going back to the back of the book to like, okay, who the hell is this guy? You know, by the time that they were leaving Winterfell to go back to King's Landing with uh, with Eddard Stark agreeing to be the hand of the king, I kind of had my bearings and 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 I was definitely hooked at that point. For me, I got hooked relatively early on. Like going into Game of Thrones, what I had heard was that the bad guys were really, really bad, and I kind of identified with the bad boys. So you're a Lannister. I, <laughs> we'll get to that. 
But for me, I was hooked when Jamie Lannister threw Bran out the window. I'm like, oh my god, he just threw an eight-year-old kid out a window. It's, uh, well, he's banging his sister. At that point, I was so completely enthralled with how bad the bad guys were going to be, how evil, uh, that I was really hooked. I think it was page 80-something when he chucks Bran out the window. Was, that's the impression that it left on me. I remember the page, well, almost remember the page number. Well, right, and how many scenes can you jump? You know, talk about it. I mean, the one thing about George R. R. Martin, you can t- he'll take all your favorite characters, and they're not going to last that long. <laughs> the more you like them, the sooner they're going to die. So just a quick synopsis of the story. It starts in Winterfell, the House of the Starks, which are, I want to say loosely, are the main characters of the story. There's a million characters in the story, and everyone plays a role, and everyone has their time in the, in the sun. But for me, the main story revolves around the Starks and their rival family, the Lannisters. And The first book features mainly the Starks. Eddard Stark agrees to become the number one servant to the king, or the head advisor, or whatever bullshit. So the hand have, of the king. The hand of the king. So they have to leave their home in the north and travel down south to court, which... They did. I thought George R. R. Martin did a nice job of defining different cultures within the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and, and well, the, the the Starks in the North. Uh, I mean, Edward Stark was the ultimate. Not you know, we talked about D and D earlier. The ultimate paladin type character does everything. You know, he's kind of the uh, does everything right, does everything good, and does everything justly. Justly, that, that's maybe probably a better word for it. And he didn't want to go to King's Landing. He didn't want to be the hand of the king, but it was his duty because his king asked him to. And, and so he gets sucked into it. And at the which end I'm of, sure that you had a hard time uh, relating to Tom. <laughs> I said, "This effing guy. <laughs> Nobody tells me what to do. I'm the boss here. I'm in control." He heads down to King's Landing, and I think what really sealed the deal for the series for me. I got sucked in when Bran got thrown out the window, but when Ned, the main character, dies in the first book, at the end of the first book, in a brutal fashion, it is the first book, right? I yeah, know. at the end of the first book, they chop his head off. And it's just. So astounding that this main character that's so likable, so good, and so relatable in so many ways is just brutally executed, and it's like, well, what the hell does the future hold for me? Probably get into it, but then it, it kind of just goes from there. Uh, we can foreshadow the Red Wedding. I mean, that, that's one of the most famous scenes in the book and the show uh-huh. where I still remember when, uh, not to jump ahead too much on you, Tom, but when I was reading the book, so Eddard Stark dies and everyone loved him, and you know, when you're reading a normal uh, storyline of a book, that that's not too unique that happens but then it kind of all comes around and it seemed like george martin was setting it up where then his son rob stark was who's kind of just like uh you know edard stark jr was gonna come and save the day and then he fucking kills him too <laughs> in an even more brutal and, fashion and just a gruesome brutally i remember when i read read the chapter of on the red wedding i put the book down and said fuck this and i didn't pick it up again for another week or so <laughs> i felt very similar i was completely stunned it was so much to take uh take in like the first time you read it if you can remember back to the very first time again did you see it coming at all no neither did i and like when you go back and you reread it and you have the context and you think more about all the scheming and plotting and planning that's taking place behind the scenes that's alluded to in other sections of the book then you can see it coming right but, like, the first time he did such a great job describing it, and then, boom, another favorite character goes down. Just brutal, miserable fashion. Well, and it was, and then after that, you, you kind of get into, after the Red Wedding, you start getting into book four, and it really just never comes around. I mean, the, the only the only really storyline you have going where you have a little bit of hope at, as you're reading through the entire fourth book, even though he doesn't really talk about it in the fourth book, Martin doesn't, is... Daenerys Targaryen over in Marine, hoping that, well, the only way that this is ever going to turn around is she comes back riding on a dragon and kills everybody. <laughs> I fucking hate Daenerys. <laughs> 
We can spend some more time talking about the characters that we love and love, like, or dislike, but I'm going to go off on Daenerys right now. The whole kingdom is based on this king that killed her father and took over the throne, and she's exiled as a young woman with her evil brother, and blah, 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 blah. She's the rightful queen, blah, blah. She gets some dragons, blah, blah, and she builds this army, blah, blah, but she never comes back to the kingdoms. Everything interesting for me that happens in Game of Thrones happens in the Seven Kingdoms, which is roughly the space from the capital down in the south up to Winterfell and the wall up in the north. Well, and down to your favorite place, Dorne. Fucking Dorne. Oh my god. If it doesn't happen between King's Landing and Winterfell, I do not care. Everybody, so many people like Danny Harris, and she resonates so well with so many people, and I just couldn't care less. Until she comes back, until she, like, actually mounts a threat, until she quits dicking around on another continent that I care absolutely nothing about, I couldn't care less about her, and she's a big part of these books, and such a well-loved character, and I get it on the show, like, she's a pretty attractive woman, so, you know, great casting, whatever. For the actual character of Daenerys, I couldn't care less, and she's such a big fact. Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I didn't mind it so much through about the end of the third book, because it seemed like it was sort of foreshadowing her coming back. And then the fourth book comes along, and she's not really even mentioned. I kind of go along with popular opinion that the first three books in this thus far five-book series were phenomenal. And then I described the fourth book as that nothing happens to characters I don't care about. And then the fifth book, nothing happens, but at least to characters I do care about. And that's and that's where the, the Daenerys storyline you know, you pick up the fifth book and it's like, all right, now it's coming. And then you read a whole book and nothing really happens. And she's still over there doing the same shit. You, know? you bring up a great point. The first three books, in my opinion, are also phenomenal. Three just fantastic books. I think where George R. R. Martin got into trouble was he started to sprawl. I meant, well, in my rant moments ago, I said that if it doesn't happen between King's Landing and Winterfell or The Wall, I just frankly don't care about it. And the fourth and fifth books take place completely, almost completely outside of those jurisdictions. Like the fourth book, they spent a lot of time south and Dorne with... The Sand Snakes. The Sand Snakes, and who cares? <laughs> Everything that happens across the Narrow Sea in the fifth book, it's just so phenomenally disappointing with how great the first three books were and even though there are a lot of characters you can kind of keep track of them all and i was invested in most of them for me it's been such a letdown the last two books i don't think he's ever gonna write another one before i dive into that tangent let's talk a little bit about the characters and the houses that resonate with us favorite character for you do how oh that's that's tough i probably should have thought about this yeah, and you'll be surprised because i tend to like the characters you're supposed to like Daenerys targaryen eddard stark Tyrion lannister but I really like one of the characters that you're not supposed to like, and that's Tywin Lannister. He's the ruthless leader of the Lannister family until uh, he's, he's eventually killed by Tyrion. Just the intelligence and the strategy, uh, the, the way they build his character up and how he's doing everything to b build the lineage of his family, I, I found that fascinating. And I won't say, I definitely don't identify with him, but I, I enjoyed all parts of the story where he was involved. Tywin is a very interesting character and really well executed throughout the books. thought his demise was... Fitting for a villain, but he's a really well done character. For me, I think my favorite character has always been Jon Snow, which is uncommon for me because I usually tend to enjoy the villains more. They almost always intrigue me more, but I always like the way that Jon seemed to battle bullying and being of lower rank and uh, general assholery. Create a new word. Anyone that ever says assholery from now on, copyright, trademark. <laughs> trademark. Give me my monies. <laughs> 
Now, for me, Jon Snow was always the favorite character. When he dies at the end of the fifth book, it uh, didn't show me much of a body, so I don't really believe it. Uh, I, another one of my favorite characters is Varys, the spider, the master of whispers. Here's a character that lives in the world of Westeros, or at least he did through most of the story, where you gain power by force. And like I mentioned with Tywin Lannister, too, who has the most swords, the biggest army, and here's a guy that built his, uh, I don't know if I'd call it empire, but built his position um, with none of that, it was just with, with information and intelligence. I really like I really like the character of Ares. And I'll counter with Sir Davos. Davos, Davos, the Onion Knight, the two-finger wonder on one of his hands. I thought he was, he was introduced later in the series, in the books, I think probably second book, third book, definitely not Game of Thrones. But he was just a faithful servant that made a big jump in life and was very dutiful and served who he thought was the rightful king. And I thought he was another interesting, if minor, character. Yeah, and you know, and, and it's interesting when we talk about characters, whether you like or don't like, It's I, I kind of separate it. There's the characters that you don't like because you're not supposed to like them because they're they're evil, but you still they're they're good characters. And then there's the characters that you don't like just because they're shitty characters. <laughs> and that is exactly what I want to discuss next. Who who do you hate most in Game of Thrones? Not necessarily because you're not supposed to like them, but who just sticks in your craw? Who do you hate in the George R. R. Martin universe? Anything happening over at the Eerie, it just, you know, it seems like there's some opportunity there and it just, nothing interesting ever happens. Little finger throwing Lisa Aaron out the... Oh, right. I mean, that, that was intriguing to me. That part, I guess, was intriguing, but nothing really, or really even the history with Caitlin Stark doesn't really provide any interest for me or Sansa Stark, so... I mean, God, I'll, I hate Sansa. <laughs> really, I'll, I, I liked Arya Stark at the beginning, you know, now she's over in Bravos at the House of Black and White and... And She's across the sea. Nobody gives a crap. And, uh, there's there's some potential there, but you know I hope he kind of brings it together sometime soon because I'm starting to lose a little interest in that storyline. I'm with you with anything that happens in Dorne isn't that interesting. The whole Stannis storyline kind of bores me. You know when he shows up at the wall, I, it was interesting to a certain point, but then kind of like all the storylines did throughout the fourth and the fifth book, it just gets drug on and it's like all right, do something. Yeah, I've always liked Stannis, and I've kind of enjoyed that storyline because, you know, by most custom, he would be the rightful king, but his little brother was much more charismatic and was able to raise the forces to take the throne, and so he lost it, and then he didn't have enough... You identify with the charismatic little brother? (laughs) Hey, Robert was badass, man. I mean, he was a big, fat, drunk, whoring whoremonger, but he was badass. He was... Well, no, he was the... Was he the younger brother? I was thinking Renly. Renly was... Um, the middle brother, or maybe he was the youngest. Stannis was the oldest, and then Renly and Robert were both younger. Okay. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead with two characters that I absolutely abhor. The first one, I mentioned it very briefly, but I hate Sansa Stark. She's the reason Ned gets killed. She's the reason most of the bad stuff happens. She's just this empty, flighty character, and she She just... I, I agree. She's she's uh, unlike her uh, sister Arya. She just doesn't seem like a Stark at all. Yeah, she has no redeeming quality. She has no strength. She has no heart. She has no courage. She has no. It doesn't seem like intelligence. She's just this waste and just drives me crazy. The character I probably hate more than anyone else in the entire Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice, Ice and Fire whole megaverse is Oberyn fucking Martell. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Viper. What a colossal letdown. Now, I had a roommate in college who named his first World of Warcraft character Oberyn Martell, and he was the biggest Red Viper fan. So maybe I was poisoned by some real unrealistic expectations of this character going in, but I mean, he shows up, he talks some shit, 
He has the fight in hand against the mountain. He beats this unbeatable force of a man, and he blows it. Yeah. Like, he had him he had him dead to rights. He had won the fight. All he had to do was finish the job, and he's standing there gloating, and he gets his face bashed in it, and that's it. Like, it, he's just gone. Well, then the fallout on a bunch of different levels of his cockiness, too, is... He kills Tyrion. Yep. I mean, everything bad that happened... Well, not everything bad that happened. Lots of bad shit happens to Tyrion that wouldn't have happened without the influence of the Red Viper. Stop to take a drink from my Grain Belt Northeast. Thanks, Grain Belt, for not sponsoring this podcast yet, but someday you will. <laughs> and I just thought that Oberyn Martell is supposed to be this badass prince from this other nation that we're supposed to give some kind of care about, and he just fell completely flat with me. Like, I was so colossally disappointed by him. I I agree. Uh, you know, and, and as we've said before earlier, the whole Dorne storyline... It's fine, but... It sucks. It's it, not fine. It sucks. The fourth book is rubbish. I and I think a, a lot of uh, our fellow uh, Game of Thrones fans would agree. I'm curious. What house do you identify? Great question. And I even wrote it down on our little outline here of things to talk about. For me, I know they're villains, but I would identify with the Lannisters. Like, you know, sister banging aside, that's not totally not my jam. But, <laughs> you know, there's some people that will not stand any slight... They uh, repay every debt. They're cunning. They're strong. They're loyal. They're fierce. There's, they're portrayed as these awful, awful people in the fiction, which you know they are. But they have some qualities that I really value, with courage and ferocity being the most, the highest of them. Yeah, I think those of those of us that know you, Tom, aren't surprised that the Lannisters are who you identify with. <laughs> Anyone that's played games with me has seen my Lannister side come out. <laughs> As far as me, I, I can see at different times that you, know, you can kind of, uh, and this is what's kind of the beauty of the books, is is Martin has uh, created the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros and, and has given uh, a real kind of personality or soul to each kingdom. And I think you can identify at different times with each one. You know, the Starks are the are this noble house. The Lannisters are, are uh, as Tom just described. The, are you the Reeds? Are you the Frog People? Tell me you're the Frog well, People. Well, they're, they're not one of the Seven Kingdoms, but uh, no. You know, actually, the one that that I, I would, I'd say I identify with are the Tyrells. I like they kind of hung back in uh, in the kind of the first round of conflicts that plagued Westeros, and then and they kind of jumped in with their opportunity, and they used their they kind of they saved, sell Marjorie over and over and over again. Yeah, well, they, they use their influence and and their their wealth and their their armies because they like I said the rest of the kingdoms were killing each other. They just kind of hung back. They saw an opening and they struck. No, at this point in the books, it's not going so well for them. But I thought that was pretty cunning the way they did that. They have a little bit of that Lannister edge but not quite so uh, far down the rabbit hole of deviousness as the Lannisters are. They have a little bit of Lannister strength. They have a little bit of Littlefinger cunning. They have... Um... Yeah, they're like the jack-of-all-trades of the houses. Yeah, they got a little bit of everything. So I, I, I've always... I would like the Tyrells, which is kind of a unique one because they're, you know, they're not... They're not of, of the seven houses, you know, everyone thinks of the Lannisters, the Starks, and the Baratheons, but I like the Tyrells. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. We're going to spend a little bit of time thinking talking about some other properties that we'd like to see portrayed in either on the movies or on the screen. Just some fantasy or sci-fi properties that we think would make good screen material. And then we're going to come back and we'll continue this discussion talking primarily about Game of Thrones, the show on HBO. I thought it would be fun to talk about some other properties that we think would make either good TV, movie, or miniseries experiences. I think I'll kick off this conversation 
One series that I'd always thought would make a great portrayal on the screen was Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. It's Weiss and Hickman, but their Dragonlance series with the Dragons of Autumn Twilight, and I forget the rest of the names of the books, but it was a really good fantasy series that I read back in late high school with some pretty memorable characters that I'd always thought would deserve some great silver screen treatment. Yeah, I, I haven't read that, but I've always thought that the Dungeons and Dragons genre has been fairly underserved by movies and TV shows. They There, I, have, been, there have been a few, but they've been poor to mediocre. Yeah, so, like so. the Dungeons and Dragons movie was a train wreck, wasn't it? I never actually watched it, but I think you and Rogue Hippos and some people watched it up at the cabin. Yeah, the, the first one was pretty bad. Then they did another one, and I... I don't even really remember much about it or what the name of it was, but I remember the second one, Dungeons & Dragons movie, was was better, but still, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of rich content in the D&D universe. There's all the different realms. I think most D&D players are f- familiar with the Forgotten Realms. Are there any characters within the Forgotten Realms that you think would make good screen characters? Well, the one I think they could probably do the most successfully, because so many people read the books, including me when I was quite a bit younger, is Driss Duerden series by R.A. Salvatore. I mean, every everybody seems to to know who that character is, and, and, and some of us downright loathe him. And I, I know Tom, Tom hates him, but I, I bet you'd still be interested to see a movie involving Drizzt. It's true. I'd probably watch it just to cheer against him. I always thought he was just kind of a whiner. He's like, oh, I'm this dark elf. Why doesn't anybody trust me? Well, because everyone else that has ever been associated with your race is a lying murderer. I enjoyed the books, and I I liked Drizzt as a character. But, boy, I'm trying to think of how long ago since it's been since I read those books. Probably college, huh? Early 2000s? High school or college, yeah. I remember you were reading them in college because I remember borrowing a couple from you when I was Uh, still down in Mankato. But I think, uh, if done well, uh, some some good movies or TV shows. I also think it would be interesting to see something around the Cthulhu mythology. Like, I'm not a huge Lovecraft reader. I haven't read a lot of Cthulhu, but I think the themes of madness and these ancient evils, I think there's a lot of good content there. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm surprised that there isn't more Cthulhu content out there as far if we're talking TV and movies. and sort of kind of apocalyptic evil entity out there, Cthulhu. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. would be interesting. I'm surprised we haven't seen it yet. What about the Rothfuss or Sanderson books you were talking about? Do you think they'd be ripe for adaptation? Oh, oh, definitely. They obviously they have to build more content, write some more books. Uh, hint, hint to the authors. Uh, San- <laughs> Sanderson actually turns them out pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, it seems like at least through the first two, it's been just a couple of years between books. But yeah, definitely. I at least as far as who I talk to, there isn't a lot of following amongst those series yet, but. I don't know how popular Game of Thrones was before HBO. I don't think it was too widely beloved. No, I know that I've known many people who have read it, and everyone that's read it has really enjoyed it. But it was kind of a it was a pretty dorky series. It was mostly males in their mid to mid twenties to mid thirties that had read it, and it's an interesting point you bring up with how popular or how mainstream that series has become. What might these other properties do? Yeah, I, I could see uh, both of them becoming. Uh, maybe maybe a similar deal, maybe an HBO series or three-part movie series like, or something like that, definitely. Well, kind of a related topic. It's interesting that it's so difficult to adapt a video game into a decent movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> They've tried. Eh? Yeah, there's been a few attempts, mostly miserable. I mean, no offense to Angelina Jolie, who looked terrific <laughs> as Laura Croft. Uh, my wife and I have differing opinions of those movies, but you know, I have yet to see a movie or a video game movie that does credit to the original property. Yeah, and I can't really speak to it because they they usually just look so bad. I don't even go watch them. So I haven't even seen any of the Tomb Raider movies, and they're I think that's probably the most successful one so far. 
Probably. I think a Gears of War movie might be cool, although if we're watching it, these muscle-bound jock dudes might be really annoying when we're not <laughs> making fun of everything they say and do. Maybe we'd lose some of the appeal from when we played through those games. I would like to see the chainsaw gun on the big screen, though. Oh, yeah, that would be pretty messy. In 3D with the blood flying. Yep, definitely. Pretty gross. All right, well, we're going to continue our conversation by jumping back into Game of Thrones, and we're going to be talking about the hit series on HBO. If you'd like to share your thoughts on other properties you'd like to see made into movies, shoot us an email at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. Or hit me up on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome. And that's Tom Awesome with two underscores in it. Tom underscore underscore awesome. If you happen to send it to the guy with one underscore, make sure you say something really mean so that he gives up on the Twitter handle. All right, well, here we go with Game of Thrones. It's on its sixth season is airing right now, is that correct? That's correct. They, uh, as of right now, they've had one episode of the sixth season out, and the uh, second one is out tomorrow. Here's hoping that I have this podcast edited and posted so people can listen to it before the season is over, but... <laughs> We'll see how it goes. So it came out in 2010. What were your initial thoughts when you heard that there was going to be a Game of Thrones show, a miniseries on HBO? Honestly, when I, I heard it was coming out, I, I was I had a little bit of comfort that it was going to be on HBO because they usually do things well. But I was I was a little afraid that you know how how are they going to pull this off? These books that George R. R. Martin wrote that I loved with all these characters and all these storylines and all these battles and, and dragons. Exactly. I was skeptical on how they could could actually pull this off. And and I got to say, although they don't uh, and we can talk about this in a little bit you know I, i'm not like your typical uh I don't know what you'd say, uh, whether it's fantasy or, or comic book nerd, where when people uh, or, or when people make movies and they stray from the storyline, it really bothers me. It doesn't. I think HBO did extremely well in, in recreating what Martin did. And, you know, occasionally they do stray from the storyline, but that's okay. Uh, they, they stick to it pretty well. Overall, exceeded my wildest expectations and how the, the way they pulled it off. And I was really excited for it. I've I've been saying for a while that HBO miniseries are the solution for every problem in entertainment. Like, yeah. movies can be good, but three hours is a long time to commit to sitting for one thing. Whereas a miniseries, you can take five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, and you can really tell a great story from beginning to end without having to cram everything into a three-hour spot or having to cut stuff so the story gets messed up. Or, I was really excited when I initially heard that the story was coming. I think it's kind of funny how we both started watching Game of Thrones. Neither one of us had HBO. I had just moved back to, to Minnesota from uh, a few years out in Maryland, and I picked up the Blu-ray of Game of Thrones, which also had a DVD copy included with it. And so I invited you over. We watched the first couple episodes, and we were just blown away. And I happened to well, – I, I have the Blu-rays. I don't need the DVD, so I give it to you. And I call you up the next week. I'm like, hey, you want to watch some Game of Thrones? I finished it, man. <laughs> I just couldn't wait. I blew through the whole series. Well, uh, well, I mean, we were watching one episode every couple of weeks. So it was just taking too long, so I, I just watched them. <laughs> I maintained that it was a week from the time we watched the first couple episodes until you finished yeah, it. I mean, that might be true. <laughs> I guess that speaks to how how uh, what I thought of the show, though. From there, I I can't remember if it was by the second or third season. I I just that, that's why I got HBO. So HBO did a nice job. Uh, they they sold a subscription to me just just because of this show. And I don't think that's an uncommon story. I think it's unbelievable how successful the show has been. I mean, it's a great show, but it's really weird to think of how popular the George R. R. Martin universe is. I mean, for something that is renowned for its violence and it's kind of high fantasy, there's elves and shit, there's weird shit happening in the there's world. There's magic and dragons. There's magic and dragons. To see the kind of mainstream appeal that this has had has really kind of blown my mind. It's gotten so big that I'm kind of sick of it, like... 
maybe I'm poisoned by the last two books being subpar by my own definition, but it's I'm almost sick of the whole Game of Thrones hype and all of it. Well, yeah, they uh, one thing about being into, for lack of a better word, nerdy things is usually it's you know it's kind of unique to to those of us that enjoy it, and and Game of Thrones is you can't be more mainstream than Game of Thrones is right now. Yeah, you really can't. Everybody loves Game of Thrones. And I think part of the appeal is it's done a really phenomenal job of casting. Yes. Who are some of your, not necessarily actors, but who do you think fits the roles from the book so well? Which characters are portrayed really well on the screen? That That's a tough question because I think they, if not a home run, they, they hit at least a double on just about every character. Yeah, let's we can burn through some quickly. I'll say characters that I think have done a great job. You can feel free to agree or disagree, but I thought Ned was perfectly cast as Sean yep. Bean. I thought he was great. I'm not a big fan of the character of Catelyn, but she was fine. I thought the whole Stark family, maybe Jon Snow, Kit Harington, he's a good actor, but he doesn't really look like the Starks to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. That's uh, he, as an actor, he did a nice job, but he might uh, he might not quite have the look. He might be have a, kind of a little bit too much of a pretty boy look. I thought the rest of the Starks were good. I thought the Lannisters were all extremely well cast. I, the Baratheons, I thought they were all well cast, and really, I thought overall they did a pretty phenomenal job matching matching actors to the characters well and and they they all seem to, to not only just act very well but the look of the characters are they did so well in casting that you know as soon as someone walks on the screen they don't even have to say who they are you already know who they are that's a great point are there any characters that have been big disappointments for you in the way they've been portrayed i can think of one um nothing that really jumps to mind right now who's yours Mine is Mormont, Jorah Mormont with Danny Harris. And despite my distaste for Danny Harris, I've always kind of liked Mormont. He's, in the books, he's described as this bear of a man. He's this big man. He's a um, big, strong warrior dude. But in the show, I feel like he's kind of a pretty boy. Like, he's an older man, but he's very lean, and he just doesn't have the burly, bear-like qualities I'd kind of always expected. Yeah, now that you say it, I can see that. Yeah, he, he, he isn't quite as grizzled in the show as he is in the books. And what are your thoughts on Peter Dinklage as Tyrion? Oh, I, he, he is perfect. He's uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Are you disappointed at all that they didn't do the eyes? In the book, he's got different colored eyes, and I forget what the disease is called, but he's got two different colored eyes, and that's part of that grotesque look that puts everyone off. Yeah, I, I understand why they didn't. You know, it's kind of the same reason that... But they can uh, do contact lenses. It's not that hard. It's not like they have to inject yellow dye into one of his eyes. Yeah, it's uh, they they didn't they didn't do I mean along with Tyrion's eyes uh, you're right with that they they didn't make Daenerys hair silver they didn't make uh, oh what's what's the guy uh, in Marine with her uh, Dario they didn't make his hair blue yeah. uh, so they on, on some of the more uh, unique physical aspects of the characters that Martin wrote they they skipped on the show I wonder if that's you know limitations and actually not wanting to dye someone's hair or wanting to have real hair versus having a wig or I kind of wonder how much a prop aspect plays into that I, that's a good question obviously I don't know the answer but I'm guessing they just didn't they didn't want it to look as strange you know when you're actually w- watching it on the show as instead of when you're you know when you're reading the book you just obviously you're just creating the the image in your imagination but when you actually put it on the screen it probably just looks a little bit goofier <laughs> good point i imagine someone on hbo is reading through the screenplay saying we are not doing blue fucking hair <laughs> right exactly <laughs> that's just not gonna happen exactly so overall i think i can speak for both of us when i say that we are 
both enamored with the show. Like, despite my general Game of Thrones fatigue, I really, really enjoy the show. Oh, a- absolutely. And they do such a great job. And, you know, so, so now on the show, they're pretty much to the point, and they're actually going beyond now the content of the books. Maybe I'll just watch the show, you know. If Martin can't put out a book in six, seven, eight years, then you know, maybe we'll just see how HBO finishes the story instead. And it's a good point. I'll I think just, the last I'll just stick with that. I think the last book came out in two thousand eight. Yeah. It was before I moved back to Minnesota, so that would have been well. It was before two thousand eleven. Either way, we've had at least a five year wait since the last book came out. Right. What are some of the moments from the books that you think have been done particularly well in the show? Oh man, um, I could start off with one that I liked. It's kind of a mushy for the persona that I like to give off here, but I thought the John and Egret relationship was done really well. When Jon Snow has to kill Corrin Halfhand and ride with the wildlings to learn their strengths, and he falls in love with a wildling woman, I thought that those two actors really portrayed the relationship while they both, while Egret really fit the picture I had of her in my head, and I thought the whole relationship from when it started to Jon Snow breaking away to serve his duty at the wall was well done. I agree with that, and you know, it's kind of sticking to the wall. You know, one, when you're reading the books, one of the things you wonder, how are they going to do this on the show? You know, it, those of us that read the books before the show came out, you kind of like, oh, this is coming up. I wonder how they're going to manage that. The battle at the wall with the wildlings. I'm like, well, how are they going to pull that off? And they did that extremely well. Great point. That was a great scene, and it kind of leads into my next topic a little bit. Some things had to change for the show, and I'm sure there's very logical reasons for why. What were some of the changes you thought, specifically with the fight you just brought up? I noticed that Jon Snow's friends started dying. Instead of being sent off by Jon Snow, they uh, wound up like dying in that fight or something else would happen. And I, I'm sure there's a logical reason for it, but I was a little disappointed to see those changes. Where are some areas you've seen that have changed from the storyline? One of the things that changed from the storyline that I handed to HBO is when uh, Jon traveled to uh, Hardhome. And I don't know if you're far enough along in the fifth season. Maybe you haven't seen this yet. So maybe I just, I think I just probably spoiled something for you. It's okay. We're doing this podcast. We'll uh, roll with it. So, you know, in the book, John doesn't travel to Hardhome, and, and he does in the show. For and, clarification, what the hell is Hardhome? Oh, that's uh, that uh, a, a, north of the wall north, somewhere? A town north of the wall across the sea. So uh, John took Stannis' ships across the sea north of the wall to Hardhome, where the bulk of the wildling population was. And just not to spoil it for you, that was one of the best episodes I've seen on, on the TV show. And, and it didn't happen in the books. Well, it, it, it ha- John never went, and they did send ships to in the books. They, if I remember correctly, now, it's been seven years since I've read any of the books now, but if I remember correctly... They did send some of the Night's Watch to Hardhome to get the wildling population, and I do not believe in the books we had ever really kind of heard what happened. I think it's still kind of outstanding as far as what happened for those to those Night's Watch that, that left to get the wildlings at Hardhome. And a real quick recap, the last thing that happens in the fifth book is Jon Snow getting stabbed to death by the Night's That's Watch, correct? correct? Yep. Which happens in the show... I can't remember if we've seen that episode is that season four or five uh that that's five so you would have you wouldn't have seen it yet it was the last scene of the the fifth season of the show ah all right i I look forward to seeing that moment any other thoughts you'd like to call out from the show that are different from the books that are either good or bad no they they do a pretty good job of sticking to the story the other thing that jumps out to mind that didn't really happen in the books or didn't happen in the books at all is is jamie lannister going to dorne to rescue his daughter it was some entertaining episodes in the show so that that i guess it was okay with me some so maybe a purist of game of thrones might maybe didn't care that that happened if i recall right from the books he's kind of running around the riverlands doing some random stuff that sounds and he winds up getting that's captured. Sound, or... that that sounds right again it's been 
Actually, I think it's been more than seven years. Eight, seven, eight years since I read it, but I think that's right. Another thing that I think they did really well, which ties to the casting, but I thought Joffrey's character was absolutely phenomenal in the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, a character that when you're reading the books, you absolutely despise him, and then you, you did the same in the show. They, you know, And kind of along those same lines, as far as what was done well is, you know, you qualify the word well, is the whole storyline with Theon Greyjoy, or as he turns into Reek with, with Ramsey Bolton. That was some disturbing stuff in the book. And, and yeah, in, in the book it was extremely disturbing, and it's it's just as disturbing in the show. They they captured. And they brought it in a little bit earlier than I would have expected. Right, like, right. I think it was fifth book it was happening, but it started in the show about third season. Uh, yeah, third fourth season. Yeah, so that that's one thing. Like, like I said, those of us that read the books is like, boy, are they really gonna sh- are they really gonna go down that uh, that path as well? And they did. <laughs> so. Can you give us a real quick recap of what happened in the last season of the show, and then we'll talk a little bit about our expectations for the storyline in general, and then specifically the show. So what happened now? This is a season that I haven't watched, so hopefully you don't ruin the entire season for me, but give a quick recap of what happened on the show. It's a tough recap because there's so many storylines, but in King's Landing with, with the Lannisters, like I said in the show, Jamie Lannister is down in Dorne, rescuing his his daughter well his daughter niece depending on yeah, his daughter. daughter and in king's landing the sparrows the high sparrow has has arrested most of the power players in king's landing cersei's been arrested marjorie tyrell and loris tyrell have all been arrested for various crimes and all sex related correct also yeah right well uh marjorie's was for lying uh, uh, lying about guts. sex. Lying about sex, correct. Sex related. Sex related. You're Bunch right. of damn sex fiends on this show. Right. And Imagine a spinoff to catch a predator, Westeros. <laughs> One of the last episodes of season five is Cersei Lannister taking her walk of shame through King King's Landing naked to atone for her sins. Interesting side note: the that was not actually that actress walking naked through the streets. They had a body double for it, and that body double's first day on set, she met the actress playing Cersei, and they had some small talk. And Cersei was like, "Oh, who are you portraying?" And the body double was like, "Well, you, naked." <laughs> I don't remember where I caught that special feature, but it seemed topical. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I had heard that that there was a body double there too. Over across the narrow sea, Daenerys flew out of the fighting pits on one of her dragons, Drogon's back. Which happened in the fifth book, if I remember right. Correct. And uh, and then, well, out in the countryside, she is abducted by a horde of Dothraki. Up on the wall, Jon Snow has left the wildlings through the wall to live south of the wall for the coming winter. And then, Which uh, also happened in the books, and... Yep. Wound up being the reason he was stabbed to death. And and again in the and in the show too, the last episode, that's where it ends with with uh, Jon Snow being stabbed to death by his uh, brothers. By his brothers. And then uh, at Winterfell, the Boltons are still holding Winterfell, and Stannis Baratheon is trying to forge through the the coming winter to to attack Winterfell to take it from the Bolton. Interesting. So it sounds like the last season really tied things up well with where the books were at. The only thing that where the, the storyline's lagging in the show is the whole Bran Stark storyline. Uh, I know you don't like that one either. We forgot to talk about that one. Yeah, that whole story. It's nothing against Bran. Bran's fine, but it's just kind of boring. All he does is ride around on Hodor's back and then he gets stuck in a tree and then he sits in a tree for a whole book and it's just like you know, I thought the Reeds were much more interesting characters. The Reed children were much more interesting characters than Bran. I'd be much more interested in having them do something, anything. Yep. 
I have to imagine in this season of Game of Thrones, we've only seen the first episode, and well, I won't, I won't talk about what happened there, but we still haven't seen any advancement of the brand storyline, but i got to think that that's coming soon. Well, there's nothing to happen. What's he going to do? <laughs> Grow his own well, roots? Well, uh, but as now we're in new content, so that that's actually what's exciting about this season of the show is Tom and I and, and a lot of others, I mean, we're, we're watching this show, and as much as we enjoy it, we know what's going to happen. Now, for the first time, I'm watching the show, and I have no idea what's going to happen. So that's kind of exciting. That is very exciting, and it makes me want to burn through the last season right effing now. <laughs> Just like 10 episodes, I'll see you at midnight, honey. We're, uh, we're going to do this. <laughs> for the record, I'm not calling Do How, honey. That was a reference to my wife. I realized it might not be captured so well through the air. I do not call Do How, honey. Not you know, very often, been, at least. Not very often. We've been friends for a long time, but we're not that close. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Who do you think wins the Game of Thrones? It, well, it's a it it's set up for Daenerys Targaryen to come, like I said, riding back to Westeros on on the back of a dragon and and to take it all, take everything back. And a quick thought on that: in the books, she has a brother mysteriously emerge, and the Targaryens they, always marry brother to sister. So I always felt that they would have been strong players to win too. They're not my ultimate choice, but I thought that would have been a major storyline. But the brother is absent from the show altogether. That's it's thus far we haven't seen that right. Sorry to derail you there, but I always thought that the Tarkarians would be a strong player if they ever crossed the damn sea and came back to the continent that we cared about. Right, and and it seems like that's the way it's set up because now you have Tyrion Lannister over there, and it's the characters that aren't dead anymore that you like, and it seems like it's set up for them to come back and to take over. But with George R. R. Martin, who knows? Maybe, I mean, hell, the the way he writes the books, maybe she gets you know shot down and flying across, you know, her dragon across the narrow sea and dies, and then. Yeah. And Ramsey Bolton is, sits on the Iron Throne. I mean, <laughs> who knows what the, you know. But the thing now is, I wonder if it's going to go a little bit more that typical storyline because now we're George R. R. Martin, I think he's told HBO the way he wants the story to go, but he hasn't actually written this content yet. He's sort of just given HBO the, like, here's kind of where I'm thinking it's going to go. True. So. so if Martin was writing the story, who do you think would win? <laughs> Again, it's that. That's actually the as frustrating as we get with Martin when he kills our characters or when he takes too long to write a book. That's really the genius of him as an author. Is who knows? I mean, that that that's the thing is you know when, when normally when you're reading, especially fantasy books. By the way, kind of time you're halfway through, you're like, I bet I know how this is gonna end. With Martin, you have no idea how it's gonna end. Well, I think I figured it out. I have always, since very early on in the books, I've put my money on Littlefinger to ultimately win and finish his jump from peasant or minor lord to king of the Seven Kingdoms. And especially once he grabbed Sansa and, you know, he hasn't knocked her up yet, but I know it's coming. I've always thought it was going to be Littlefinger, but now that HBO is finishing this story, maybe... Maybe things take a change. Maybe they become a little bit more predictable. Right. No, I it, like I said, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Nothing would. That's the beauty of this uh, of this this story. I saw another possible outcomes that I'd consider longer shots. I could see Arya hooking up with the Bull, that bastard of Roberts. They certainly alluded to that possibility. And something's got to happen with Rickon Stark at some point. Yeah, that's uh, now that you mention it. He, they've been hiding Rickon for a reason. They must have a plan for him. Yeah, it's he, like he'll be forgotten about, and he'll come back as probably a late teenager. And yeah. He's that, always the wild one, and they made references to another wild wolf in the Stark lineage. Yeah, now now that you say it, I something Rickon's going to be involved somehow. 
or they wouldn't have stashed him away like they did. Ultimately, the Lannisters are going to be defeated one way or another. Like, Cersei can't keep everything going, and I think the Tyrells flame out, and I think it's some some combination of Targaryen or Stark or Littlefinger. That would certainly seem to be the natural arc of the story. Hopefully we didn't ruin too much of Game of Thrones stuff for you, for anyone who is far behind. Do you have any closing thoughts on Game of Thrones, either the books or the shows? Anything you want to express before we jump out here, do how? Uh, no, I think we, we've covered everything pretty well. It's been a very interesting Game of Thrones discussion. It's been a lot of fun talking about the books, which the first three of which we both really loved, and talking about the show, which we really enjoyed. I'm sure we'll talk about Game of Thrones again sometime, probably after this season ends, to talk about our thoughts. But thanks a lot for being here with us here today, Duhau. Oh, thank you for having me. Our next show is actually going to focus on video games. We're going to have a couple different guest co-hosts talking about the Metal Gear series. We'll talk about the most recent game, Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. We'll also talk about the history of the Metal Gear series. And we'll have some other thoughts about what we're playing these days. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Outside is Overrated. (laughs) 